welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 24th of October. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Hannah Green. Gloria Chapman. Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer. Carol Hartle, Joe Gwynn and Jean Burbeck are working on administration. And this week's copying team are Bernard and Doran, Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Driver tells victim's family I wish I had died. Four arrests as drug dealers targeted. I want my abuser brought to justice. I'm trapped in passport limbo. Two people in hospital after fire at house. And Scooter Gran hurt by selfish parking. And now over to Hannah for the first uh, reading. This is Friday the 18th of October's headline, Driver tells victim's family, I wish I had died. A lorry driver who crushed a father to death in a motorway crash told the, fa- the man's family he wished he had been killed instead. James Giles looked across at the weeping family of Aidan Martin Walsh, including his widow and two teenage sons, and said, I'm really, really sorry. I just wish it was the other way around. I wish it was me that wasn't here. The 62-year-old former professional lorry driver was jailed at Worcester Crown Court after he admitted causing death by dangerous driving following the crash in lane one of the northbound carriageway of the M5 near Junction 5, Droitwich, which killed the 53-year-old father of two on July 30th last year. Giles had been on his Bluetooth hands-free set talking to his son-in-law about a fishing trip at around 3.10pm when he crashed the 44-tonne Mercedes Actros lorry into the back of Mr Walsh's stationary white Ford Transit van. The van was crushed between Giles's HGV and a 76-tonne Volvo articulated low-loader which had also come to a stop in the same queue of traffic. Simon Phillips, prosecuting, said Mr Walsh died instantly in the crash and added the white transit van is sadly almost invisible between the two. So severe was the damage that Giles did not realise right away that he'd struck the van at all, saying at the scene, I didn't see any van Illuminated overhead matrix signs on the smart motorway would have warned Giles of congestion ahead. These were displayed 2.2 kilometres before the crash, again within 1.6 kilometres and yet again within 500 metres. Before this incident, he ignored or did not see three separate warning signs, said Mr Phillips, who described it as a gross, avoidable distraction. The driver of the low-law loader had also put on his hazard lights to warn other drivers. By coincidence, two ambulances were following a few hundred metres behind the vehicle involved in the pile-up. However, despite the rapid arrival of the paramedics, sadly they could do nothing, said Mr Phillips. The DHL driver's tachograph, 
indicated Giles was traveling at 56 miles an hour over a distance of four kilo kilometers before he struck Mr. Walsh's van. Slowing to 42 miles per hour, his speed upon impact. Mr. Phillips said Giles would have had 16 seconds to react to the stationary traffic, but the lorry's tachograph showed no braking until 18 metres before impact. The force of the impact was such that Giles not only struck the van but pushed the 76-tonne low loader in front of the van forward three metres. The son-in-law heard the smashing noise of the impact over the phone, an exclamation by Giles and then everything go quiet. Later, the two men spoke again and Giles told him, I've hit the back of a van, I think the driver's dead. In police interview, the day after the crash, Giles said he was gutted, someone was dead because of him. While in a second interview, he said, I blame myself, it will be in my head for the rest of my life, I know it will. In a statement, Mr. Walsh's widow said she would never forget the day police arrived at her family home to tell her Aidan had been killed. The couple had been married for 19 years and she, she described her shock, despair and disbelief at the loss of her soulmate and her crutch. She said, it hurts to breathe. I feel there's a tight band around my heart. It's a devastating, cruel and unfair tragedy that was so avoidable. The Irish-born music lover from Bedworth, Warwickshire, who represented Ireland in international table tennis competition, had been driving for 23 years. Mark Stewart, defending, said his client had entered an early guilty plea. He said, at the first time of asking, he accepted responsibility. He told the court Giles, an HGV driver for 18 years, had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder since the crash and now he simply can't get into a lorry. Giles of Highfield Road, Clipstone, Mansfield, had been the main breadwinner but he had not worked since the crash and he and his partner had to move into a rented home because she could not pay the mortgage. Sentencing him on Wednesday, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, The collision was your fault entirely. The cause was a significant period of inattention and or distraction on your part, which must have lasted at least six, 16 seconds. You did not even realise until you got out of the vehicle that you'd struck a van from behind. Giles was jailed for 40 months and banned from driving for not less than three years. When Giles told the family he wished he had died instead of Aidan, Mr Walsh's widow replied, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. The headline for Saturday, October the 19th. Four arrests as drug dealers targeted. Police arrested four people in Worcester and seized a machete, two knives, cash and a huge quantity of Class A drugs in a crackdown on county lines dealing. The arrests were part of a National Week of Action on County Lines Dealing, which is where gangs from large urban areas travel to smaller cities and towns to sell drugs, 
often using the homes of vulnerable addicts as bases. During the operation in Worcester, officers seized two grams of cocaine, a 5.5 gram block of crack, 20 wraps of crack, five wraps of heroin, cannabis, a machete, two knives, cash and three mobile phones. Four people were arrested in the city, while a total of 32 were held across West Mercia during the action week. Officers from West Midlands teamed up with West Mercia police to target a man suspected of running drugs from Birmingham into Droitwich and potentially making £4,000 a day. Dramatic video footage shows the moment three traffic cops box in a car in which the suspect was travelling. The 31-year-old from Birmingham was arrested on suspicion of possessing drugs with intent to supply, while the 40-year-old driver from Droitwich was held on suspicion of being concerned in the supply of drugs. Both were released under investigation. Detective Sergeant Luke Papps said, The operations that we carried out, like the one in Droitwich, with our colleagues from West Midlands Police, were the result of weeks and months of planning and intelligence gathering and signify our commitment to tackling organised criminal activity and all other forms of crime in and around Worcester. We are determined to make Worcestershire a safe and pleasant place to live and work. Those people intent on committing criminal activity, like trafficking drugs into our communities, are not welcome, and we will do everything in our power to disrupt their activity <coughs> and bring them to justice. The force executed a number of warrants at addresses, various vehicle stops and numerous visits to educational and community venues during the action week of October the 7th to the 13th. As part of our coverage of the police's war on county lines drug dealing, the Worcester News has previously reported that a 32-year-old man was running a drugs business and used two city hotels as bases to deal heroin and crack cocaine. Kyle Williams was jailed for four years and four months after using the travel lodge in Cathedral Plaza and the Premier Inn in New Road as bases, whilst he also had keys to a property in the tithing. Across the West Mercia policing area, weapons and phones, as well as more than £13,500 in cash, was recovered during the week of intelligence-led, intensified police activity. Thousands of pounds worth of drugs were also seized, along with weapons ranging from knives and machetes to replica shotguns. Assistant Chief Constable Jeff Wessel said, Last week's targeted activity on county lines gangs demonstrates how our officers are working tirelessly to disrupt and dismantle drug supply and protect the young and vulnerable people who are exploited by them in our communities. With over 30 arrests made, various warrants served and cars stopped, we have significantly disrupted county lines activity across West Mercia. Importantly, 
we have safeguarded a number of vulnerable people. County Lines is a priority for West Mercia Police. We want to ensure the region becomes a no-go area for travelling criminality. We will continue to pursue and prosecute those who bring drugs into our counties. And the headline for Monday, October the 21st, I want my abuser brought to justice. A former soldier who claimed he was molested as a boy says he is furious that his alleged abuser won't face justice for his crimes. Sean Jackson said he was sexually abused by a man when he was around the age of 13 and living in Worcester. Mr Jackson, 43, has chosen to waive his legal right to anonymity as an alleged victim of sexual assault to raise awareness of his situation and that faced by others who report historic offences. He said he reported the alleged abuse to police around three years ago but only found out that the Crown Prosecution Service would not be charging the man accused around two months ago. West Mercia Police said they treat all allegations of sexual offences seriously and investigate thoroughly, but sometimes there's not enough evidence for the CPS to prosecute. I rang them and they video interviewed me, Mr Jackson said, speaking of when he first contacted police. I got passed between detectives. One DC admitted that they were taking too long with the case. It took guts to tell the police and my family, but now I feel I should have just kept it to myself. I had a feeling it was going to be like this. I thought, I'm 43 and a bloke, and not a woman reporting this. The former army army private and signaller who served in Bosnia in 1996 said having to wait three years to find out whether his alleged abuser would be prosecuted was too long. Mr Jackson said, three years is too much for me. I have got mental health issues anyway. I have had mental health issues from a young age. I was in hospital for three months and I have started drinking more again now. Mr Jackson, who now lives in Cheltenham, added, I have lost all faith in the system. I think if I hadn't been passed around so much, it would have had a different outcome. Detective Chief Inspector Ian Wall, South Worcestershire Crime Manager, said the allegations made by Mr Jackson were thoroughly investigated. Whilst we cannot go into the specific details of the case, the investigation was subject to a full and thorough investigation into the crimes reported, said DCI Wall. A file of evidence was presented to the CPS who judged that the threshold was not met to charge any person with criminal offences against Mr Jackson. Allegations of non-recent sexual abuse present inherent difficulties to investigators given the lapse in time involved. This inevitably makes these investigations complex and very time-consuming but we will always treat these allegations seriously and advance any investigative opportunities that are available. Whilst we have not been able to secure a successful prosecution in this matter, we have brought a number of offenders to justice in other non-recent offences and know how positive this can be for the victims involved. Here in Worcestershire, we have a number of specially trained officers who work closely with partner agencies on serious sexual offences and I would strongly urge anyone who has been a victim of sexual abuse whenever it took place to get in touch with us. 
Alternatively, if they are not ready to do this, they can contact the West Mercia Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Centre, who are a charity who can provide support in confidence. They will not pass details to the police without consent. The telephone number is 01905 724514 and it's wmr-sasc.org.uk. A CPS spokesman added, We received all of the available evidence from the police by July 2019 and we made our decision in accordance with the Code for Crown Prosecutions in September 2019. The headline for Tuesday, October the 22nd. I'm trapped in passport limbo. A desperate Worcester man is trapped in Cyprus, unable to come home over an identity dispute. James Spencer says he's unable to access health care and employment in Cyprus because he does not have a passport, after the authorities withheld his passport after he changed his name. He also said he's suffering from health problems, which he has been told could indicate cancer or intestinal problems, but cannot access health care in Cyprus. Mr Spencer says, I'm out of money now. At the end of the year, I'll have to give up my apartment. I can't get a job. I can't claim benefits. I have got no choice but to rob someone or put myself in prison somehow. There I will get food and, look, and be looked after. That's what I will have to do. When I go to prison, hopefully, I will be deported. Mr Spencer said, They are saying they don't know who I am. What gives them the right to leave me stranded in a foreign country? I'm not allowed to work. I can't get money. I can't get any help. There are refugees here who can get more than I can. Mr Spencer, who went to Cyprus in 2017 to find his father, who is a Greek Cypriot, is in dispute with the UK passport office. Because he's changed his name, he's been asked to provide original birth certificates, which he does not have, to prove his identity. He's been unable to leave the country since then. In 2017, Mr Spencer, who was working on the Mediterranean island in stocks and shares, wanted to change his name to Robinson Zachariah to fit in with his Cypriot roots. He changed his name in Cyprus and sent his passport to the passport office in the UK for them to renew it. It has now been withheld. A letter from the passport office says he has held several different passports in various names and dates of birth. Thus, we are unable to determine your identity. The ex-Nunnery Wood High School pupil, who was known as Robin Nash at school, denies the claim that he has had multiple passports. Mr. Spencer said, I've given them so many letters with all the information. All the people I went to school with know who I am. Mr. Spencer was born as Robinson Zacharias Chambers. He was called Robin Nash at school, Nash being his stepfather's name. When he was 30, he changed his name to James Spencer. However, two years ago, he decided to change his name to Robinson Zacharias to fit in with his Greek Cypriot roots. The 52-year-old has sent authorities pictures, features in the Worcester News when he was a baby, taken as he was born on Christmas Day. Mr Spencer, who was once arrested as a 13-year-old for breaking into a school in Worcester, has offered to give authorities his fingerprints as proof of his identity. However, they will not accept this as proof.
Worcester MP Robin Walker is investigating the case but was unable to comment. And on Wednesday, October 23rd, the headline was two people in hospital after fire at house. Two people were taken to hospital after a fire broke out in a house in Worcester. A man and a woman were taken to hospital by ambulance after the blaze at a terraced house in Bedwardine Road, St John's, which started at around 3.40pm. A Hereford and Worcester Fire Service spokesman said that two people who were inside the property were treated at the scene for smoke inhalation and then taken to hospital. A window was broken on the first floor and a ladder was raised up to a skylight on the roof so that the firefighters could access the property. Firefighters on the scene said the blaze did not appear to be suspicious but a full investigation into the cause would be launched. It was not yet clear where the fire had started, but the blaze had spread to the loft. The road was closed while emergency services worked. Station Commander Lee Watson said, Two people were evacuated from the property. Crews worked effectively and efficiently to bring the fire under control, working with West Mercia Police to evacuate neighbouring properties. West Midlands Ambulance Service arrived to take care of the casualties from the incident. There is a fire investigation in progress, but it's not thought to be suspicious in any way. The headline for Thursday, October the 24th. Scooter Gran hurt by salvaged parking. An elderly woman ended up in hospital for 12 days after her scooter got stuck due to the selfish parking of an inconsiderate driver. Mary Laird, aged 86, found herself trapped after she tried to squeeze her scooter past a car that was blocking the dropped curve. She fell and broke her hip as she struggled to free the scooter from the pavement. Her son has called for drivers to take more care where they park and says people are not thinking about the serious consequences of their actions. Malcolm Laird said she tried to squeeze past, but there just wasn't the room. She got off and tried knocking on neighbours' doors to find the owner and to get the car moved, but had no success. She went back and tried to move the scooter herself. She pushed and it suddenly shot off and she fell to the ground. It was raining heavily that day and my mother was lying in the road crying for help and distressed. He said Mrs Laird was just a few minutes from her home in the avenue when she went down a no-cycling alley that comes out at the cul-de-sac at the end of the St John's Road where there is a single dropped curb. She was taken to hospital after a neighbour spotted her and called an ambulance. Mr Laird said it turns out she fractured her hip and is currently in the Alexander Hospital, recovering from a partial hip replacement. For someone at 86, going into hospital is always a risk, but she is doing OK. She is missing a 25th family wedding anniversary this weekend because of what happened. It is annoying she has had to endure all this pain and disruption to her life because of rude, inconsiderate parking, not leaving a drop-down clear. The driver will have no idea what they did. 
There are signs saying no parking, but they probably use it as a free car park. People shouldn't park in front of drop-down curbs, blocking scooters, prams and pushchairs. County Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Highways, said, Worcestershire County Council is sorry to hear of this situation. We would always encourage drivers to park responsibly and with thought and consideration for everyone using the pathways. Mrs Laird has been in hospital since being injured on October the 11th. And now some other articles you may be interested in. Um, Discover History revisits the story of Worcester's Guild Hall. This is a continuation from an article uh, some days ago, weeks ago in fact. Describing it as an imposing building to command instant respect. In, in 1227, a charter was gifted to the city of Worcester by Henry III. Merchants and traders were allowed to construct a hall to govern the city. Sadly, we have no images of this timber hall, but we do know the building was set back from the high street with a row of shops running in front of it. The powerful guild created many laws known as the Ordinances. One ordinance banned the use of thatch roofing and timber chimneys. This was made following several devastating fires that destroyed much of the city. The original Guild Hall was a multi-use building as it is today. Banquets, banquets would be held there, musicians and actors entertained, and more importantly, wool was weighed for sale. Guild members also played tennis in the main hall and sentenced local criminals. By the end of the medieval period, the Guild was evolving to become the corporation the seeds that would later become Worcester City Council. It was made up of 24 men from the High Chamber and 48 from the Lower Chamber. This organisation was usually referred to as the 24 and the 48. In 1621, King James I also issued a charter which allowed for the civic officers to see today. This included a mayor, the city sword bearer and the mace bearer. During the English Civil Wars, the city saw two sieges and the first skirmish of the war. The city was glad when the occupying royalist forces finally surrendered to the city in 1646. A huge amount of damage had been caused, its citizens killed and civic regalia lost. In 1651, a predominantly Scottish army entered the city after skirmishing with local men in Ombersley. The mayor initially closed the gates on these royalists, but opened them after some careful negotiations. The Battle of Worcester was fought outside the city until the early evening, when the fighting spilled into the narrow streets. The Guild Hall was used as a makeshift hospital and was ransacked after the conclusion of the fight. The Worcester Corporation tried to use the building in the weeks after the battle, but struggled. The building and its city was almost ruinous. The corporation paid for stone, pitch and rosin to perfume the hall after the Scots. At the start of the 1700s, the building was being used more as a courts than any other purpose. It was decided that a new building was needed. An imposing building to command instant respect for the majesty of English law. As plans were drawn up to replace the old hall, the newly appointed House of Hanover sat on a very fragile throne. 
the new building would need to hide city's disloyalty to the crown from 1651. A royal facade would hide the fact that Worcester's, Worcester's men preferred to join Cromwell's forces and liberate the city from the Scots. Thomas White, a freeman and local stone carver, is believed to be the man who created this new building. We know he did the stone carvings at least. He had demonstrated great skill by providing a handsome effigy of Queen Anne to the mayor's liking. The new guild hall would display the Hanoverian coat of arms and show Charles I and Charles II who brought death and destruction to Worcester. The additional carvings of Semper Fidelis, always faithful, would help hide the fact that the city was not as faithful as it makes out. A rumour was also started that the head above the door was Oliver Cromwell. Unfortunately, there is no evidence of this. This rebuild, which opened in 1724, was plagued by problems. Henry Rowe and Sir Gilbert Scott began some restoration work later, but this work was small-scale. Towards the end of the following century, the corporation began to look at replacing the building entirely. However, the lack of funds prevented this. Today, the Guild Hall is well looked after by Worcester City Council. Discover History offer guided tours of the Guild Hall on behalf of the Council. These are available upon request and take a, takes a look at places not open to the public on a regular basis, including the holding cells below the courtroom. For more information, contact Discover History at discoverhistory and at aol.com. A man found dead in the canal at Hanbury Wharf had been highlighted as vulnerable by the police. He, sorry, um, by the people he leased his mooring from. The body of a 70-year-old man, named locally as Bob Willets, was discovered in the water yesterday morning. Christopher Hill, managing director of the new and used boat company that manages the moorings said Mr. Willits had been a customer for more than 20 years and had become a part of the furniture. However, concerns over Mr. Willits' welfare were raised with the local authority, which was in the process of finalising some accommodation for him. Our hearts go out to his family, said Mr. Hill. We had been liaising with the council with regard to getting him some sort of social housing for the past three or four months. They had been down... We felt he should not continue to live on his boat because he was elderly. Bob would never have wanted to leave the boat, but was a proud man and very happy on there. He was not something he, it was not something he particularly wanted to do, but was not resistant to it. I think he was resigned to it, really. We contacted them because we felt he had probably got to the stage of his life where he would be better off moving. He didn't ask us, we did it out of a sense of duty, and contacted them, that's the authorities, for their opinion more than anything else. They had been down to visit him on the boat, and I think were in the process of finalising some accommodation for him. He will be missed, he was a part of the furniture, and we're very sorry for his loss. A neighbour who had, did not want to be named said, Mr Willits had volunteered with the Seven Valley Railway, and was affectionately known as Budgie Bob having carried his pet bird in a cage when heading into town, adding his boat rarely moved. He had been there for about 25 years and was very happy on his boat, the neighbour said. He will be missed. His health had let him down recently 
and he had become unsteady on his feet. When we went around the town, the budgie would go with him for a walk and where he would pop into the Salvation Army. He was a part of the fixtures and fittings and him not being here is going to take some getting used to. It's very sad. He was quite a lively character, quite outspoken and very strong-willed, but he had a good heart and recognised when people were trying to help him. He was very grateful for that. Worcester County Council indicated it would not comment on individual cases involving social services. The finishing touches are being put to the Sidbury Roadworks this week as the long-term project finally comes to its conclusion. And Mayor Aladita and Worcester Council Cabinet Member for Highways Alan Amos have thanked the workers who had the tough job of completing the scheme. The work included replacing the outdated traffic light system, extending approach lanes and installing a new signal control pedestrian crossing. But the two million scheme caused heavy tailbacks during peak times and some residents had other criticisms including the amount of workers on site and when seven Trent waterways caused long queues after carrying out unannounced work at the start of September. On Tuesday morning, contractors were spotted at the site to finish off the project. Councillor Ditter said they are just finishing off now on the last bits. I want to thank the workers. There are main roads into this junction so they have worked hard to keep pedestrians and cars going through. I know how difficult it can be. They deserve a pat on the back from the mayor. To get something improved in the city, there has to be short-term slight pain for long-term gain. In September, Councillor Amos said he was pleased the workers had managed to do it as quickly as possible on schedule and on budget, and during the school holiday period to minimise disruption. And he added that the authority had zero tolerance for Seven Trent Water, who brought gridlock to Worcester City Centre after the main work had finished, adding that the utility company was fined £5,000. A plan has been set up which could save the popular jazz festival in Upton Pond 7. Organisers say they will run a reduced festival programme for two years to recover their financial position after it emerged that rising costs and low volunteer numbers were putting its future in doubt. The plan put forward by John Parsons, one of the festival's trustees, sees events being held in venues in the town with no marquees or outdoor stages, reducing the cost of the setup. Some events will be paid and some will be free, with popular favourites such as the Best of Young Jazz still taking part in the festival. As part of the plan, the Town Council has agreed to allow use of the Memorial Hall at a reduced rate for the first two years to help the festival recover its financial position. At the full meeting of Upton Town Council, Mr Parsons said... We have not achieved our goal of getting three key people to take on the jazz for the next five years, or an influx of financial support which would solve the problem. But it was always a big ask. We do have a plan, 
and I wanted to thank Councillor John Thompson for the work he has put in on that. Councillors said, although they would not normally agree to something like this, the alternative was to not hold a jazz festival at all. They voted to accept the plan and agreed that the jazz festival, which is world famous, should be protected. Mayor of Upton, Henrietta Ross, said, The plan is commendable, but we still have costs, so we need to know what these are. We need to make sure we at least cover the initial cost of the light and electricity needed to keep the hall open. Mr Parsons said, We were in a pessimistic mood when we initially spoke to the council in September due to the rising costs and declining volunteers. We think this plan will maintain the musical quality of the festival and promote the town. We are very grateful to the Town Council for their support. There was a collective determination from the town to keep the jazz alive. Next year will be the 35th year of the festival and it is known internationally and this has given us the momentum to start planning for it. The meeting took place on October the 22nd. Fewer people are now claiming unemployment benefits in Worcester than before, than, I'm sorry, than before the rollout of universal credit figures reveal. Across Great Britain, the number of claimants has fallen with anti-poverty charity Turn to Us, warning that the switchover masks a fa failing benefits system. Department for Work and Pensions statistics show 1,832 people in Worcester claimed out-of-work benefits in August. This was up 5% from last year, but still 23% fewer than in 2014, the earliest available data after the introduction of the universal credit. Across the West Midlands, there were 146,197 claimants in August, representing a 13% fall over the five-year period. David Sampson, Welfare Benefits Specialist at Turn to Us, said... If people aren't claiming out-of-work benefits because they are receiving high pay in meaningful work, then that is fantastic. But if the claimant count is low because the DWP has created a hostile, complex or intimidating environment, then that is very troubling. From what people with lived like, from what people with lived lived experience I'm not quite sure but from what people with lived experience are telling us the rollout of universal credit is linked to rising rent arrears increasing debt and soaring food bank use this is damning for the government there are a number of things the DWP can immediately do to rectify this situation such as end the benefits freeze scrap the five-week wait for universal credit and adequately fund our welfare system so people can thrive. The latest figures model employment trends since 2013. They cover people claiming the old-style old style job seekers allowance and those required to look for work under the universal credit system, brought in gradually between 2013 and 2018. Any trends seen in the data, the DWP say, reflect how the econ economy performs rather than switch from one benefit system to another. Unemployment in Worcester also rose last year. The figures show from 2.6% of the workforce to 2.8%. 
Nationally, 1.3 million people currently claim unemployment benefits. That's 3.1% of the population aged 16 to 64. The rate has fallen slightly since 2014, when it was 3.9%. An affectionate tribute to Dad's Army star John Le Mazurier is coming to Worcester's Huntington Hall. The title of the show is, Do You Think That's Wise?, which was Le Mazurier's catchphrase in the classic sitcom. A spokesman said, In this affectionate tribute to one of Britain's best-loved comedy stars, Leading impressionist Julian Dutton, whose BBC One The Big Impression and BBC Radio 4's The Secret World, co-created and co-star of BBC Two, Pompidou with Matt Lucas, etc., brings to life the man behind the wry smile and urban English repartee that charmed millions and turned John Le Mazurier into a household name as Sergeant Wilson in Dad's Army. As with many comic stars. Le Mazurier's life was not without tragedy. His broken manic marriage to Hattie Jakes, his betrayal by his best friend Tony Hancock, all these setbacks shook him. But his reputation as the quintessential English gentleman never wavered. The performance takes place on Friday, November the 1st, and for tickets call the box office on 01905 a final decision on whether to build a new events facility at a city farm looks set to be made next week after months of delays. Bennett's Farm wants to build a single-storey modern barn building with outdoor seating at Manor Farm off Malvern Road to be used as a venue for a range of events including weddings, wakes, markets and workshops. Worcester City Council's planning committee voted to delay a decision when it met in August to allow the farm to reaffirm where the overspill car park would be located. The farm has since confirmed it would use an existing car park which is currently used as parking for wedding guests and the farm's glamping site also for caravans and to serve the new events building and if approved would either get rid of it or move the caravan section to free up the whole site for parking. The application will go before planners again next Thursday with a recommendation that it should be approved. The plans were originally called in by Councillor Alan Amos who represents Bedwardine Ward where the farm sits because he said there was no local support for the expansion and it would be a tragedy if the concerns of the neighbours were not considered. Councillor Amos did propose the plan was rejected, but his plea was refused. Tristan Bennett, manager of Bennett's Farm, told the Council's planning committee in August it would be a real missed opportunity if the expansion was rejected. Several neighbours had raised objections over noise when the plan was submitted. Mark Freeman, who lives nearby, said he regularly let out a sigh of despair when he was met with loud noise while pulling onto his drive and often said he wished he was not coming home. Mr Freeman said he had made several complaints to the farm over noise and smoke from the glamping site and added there would be no way to completely stop noise from the new building as existing measures to stop noise were already woefully inadequate. 
a fraudster who conned thousands of pounds from a former City College student he met on a dating site, in part to supposedly launch a professional snooker career, could face prison. Benjamin Lewis met Robert Shepherd, who was studying at Worcester Sixth Form College, online before fleecing him out of a reported £45,000 over a six-month period. However, the defendant's solicitor told magistrates on Thursday he had not seen any official confirmation regarding how much money was actually taken and was under the impression it was less than that. Amateur snooker player Lewis claimed he needed the money to turn professional, buy a new car and visit his dad after a heart attack, amongst other things the court heard. Prosecutor Emily Kluwer said the 24-year-old could face up to three years in prison, having pleaded guilty to fraud by false representation. Lewis's solicitor, Christopher Hilton, said his client has a gambling problem, which a counsellor had confirmed was a result of a bereavement in his family. It is unclear which dating site the pair had met on or whether they ever met in person. But Miss Kluwer said the defendant had asked Shepherd for money to help his financial situation. He had confided in the victim about personal issues and said he'd lost his mother and as a result lost his job. But his car had broken down and so he couldn't get to interviews. He also asked for money to be able to visit his dad in a hospital in North Wales, as he had supposedly suffered a heart attack. At one stage, Miss Kluwer said the defendant claimed he would pay Mr Shepherd back £2,300, but on his way to the cash point, he claimed he was stabbed in the leg and spent the remainder of the day in hospital. Having won a snooker tournament in Great Yarmouth, Lewis of Oak Tree Close Evesham told the victim he would use the winnings to pay back some of the money owed. However, this was then gambled away. Miss Kluwer said Mr Shepherd had only given him any money on the promise he would give the money back. But of the apparent £45,000, has not had a penny back. She added that Lewis accepts he has a gambling addiction for which he has sought help. Mr Hilton, defending, said there are a number of mitigating issues that are relevant, including a family bereavement and his client's gambling problem. He sought counselling for gambling and the counsellor attributed his gambling to a bereavement, said Mr Hilton. However, he said he was unsure about the exact amount of money actually defrauded. At present, we have not seen any bank statements to corroborate any claims, he said, referring to the £45,000 quoted. The offences took place between May 1st, 2016 and October 31st, 2016. Chair of the bench, Judith Holland, said the offence was outside the court's sentencing powers and it was sent to Worcester Crown Court. Mr Hilton requested a pre-sentencing report be compiled before the hearing, which is currently set for November the 15th. Miss Holland granted Lewis bail ahead of the upcoming hearing. 
Miscrewer said the CPS had asked for £185 in costs for bringing the case to court. A campaign aimed at getting Worcestershire residents recycling more has raised £2,000 for Acorns Children's Hospice. The Worcestershire County Council Recycle for Acorns campaign ran throughout August, encouraging people to recycle more cans and plastics. During the month, every can, aerosol, plastic bottle, pot, tub and tray, not black, that was put into a green bin helped to raise money for the charity. Councillor Tony Miller, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Environment, said, Thanks to your recycling efforts over the month, we were able to raise a fantastic amount of money for such a great cause, to which I used my divisional fund to round up to the final sum. It's important that we all try to recycle as much as we can and hopefully this campaign will have encouraged people to either start recycling or to recycle more. Michael Hornby from Seven Waste Services, the county's waste contractor, presented the donation to Acorns Children's Hospice on the 1st of October. Vicky Rowles, Head of Partnerships at Acorns, said, We rely on donations to continue our work, so we are hugely grateful to Worcestershire County Council for this fantastic initiative. Thank you to everyone who showed their green credentials and recycled. We are thrilled with the amount raised which will go directly to the vital care that we provide to children and their families across the county. For more information about recycling in Worcestershire, visit letswaste-less.com. A drink driver has criticised the police after his motorcycle was left at the scene of his arrest and subsequently stolen. Representing himself in Worcester Magistrates Court last week, Luke Price said he called West Mercia Police following the incident and was promised that they would contact him regarding the theft, but I haven't heard anything since. However, a a police spokesman confirmed a full investigation has been carried out in relation to the theft and the bike was left securely in a lay-by alongside McDonald's with the defendant keeping the key. The 24-year-old was pulled over in the cross, Worcester, at 4am on September the 21st by officers on patrol after they saw the back end of his scooter fishtailing along the road. Emily Kluwer, prosecuting, said the defendant's eyes were red and bloodshot while his speech was slurred and he smelt of alcohol, according to a police report. Price of Canterbury Road, Worcester, failed a roadside breath test and was arrested with a 100 milliliter sample of breath taken at the station containing 72 micrograms of alcohol, more than double the drink-drive limit. Asked if he wanted to comment on the incident, Price told the hearing, There's nothing I wish to say. He was banned from getting behind the wheel for 19 months and ordered to pay a total of £553, including a £380 fine. Initially telling magistrates he could pay the money back at £20 a week, as the ban wouldn't affect his £1,650 a month job as a JCB driver, he returned to court later to say he had lied. Coming back before magistrates the same day alongside his mum in the dock, Price broke down in tears as he attempted to address the court. 
His mum said he is not working at the moment and is due in Crown Court this week in relation to quite a big matter. He doesn't think he will be going back to work, she added. Chair of the bench, Judith Holland, agreed to allow Price to pay off the money owed to the court at £5 a week and reduce the overall fee due to £287. Price is due in Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday to be sentenced for a charge of causing or inciting a child to engage in non-penetrative sexual activity. He sent a photo of his genitals to a 14-year-old girl. And now we've got a few items on sports. First of all, the rugby. Cornell Dupre said he would love to extend his stay at Six Ways after Worcester Warriors looked after him during his long road to recovery. The powerful back rower joined Warriors from Edinburgh last summer only to sustain a traumatic throat injury in his first competitive game for the club. After six weeks in hospital and many months on the sidelines, Dupre's returned to action in March and he is now a key man in Warriors' pack. The Scotland international, whose deal expires at the end of this season, revealed he had yet to hold contract talks with the club's bosses, but expressed his desire to remain at Warriors. The club looked after me really well, which I'm grateful for, and I love it here, Dupre's told the rugby paper. My contract is up this season, so we will see what happens when we get into talks. But I would love to stay because it feels like we've got a group of players here who can really achieve things. There were fears Dupre's might not play again when he damaged his voice box and fractured his Adam's apple against wasps in September last year. But thanks to treatment at Heartlands Hospital in Birmingham and the efforts of Warriors fitness coach, the 28-year-old, returned to the game. It was a pretty traumatic injury I had, especially at the beginning when everyone, when everything happened and there were rumours I might not be able to carry on, Dupre said. It was an injury you didn't see a lot and there were a lot of grey areas, but as time goes on you begin to feel much better. Eventually the specialist said I was all good to play again, so that was a pretty good feeling. Returning to play was not too bad because I'd taken a few blows in contact training, so with the specialist saying everything was fine, I just had to go get on with it again. It's just my voice that is a little deeper now, so I'll be good for doing some voiceovers perhaps. <laughs> but it feels special to get a second chance. I'm just very grateful for that. To praise made his comeback in the European Challenge Cup quarter-final, lost to Har Harlequins before playing in Warriors' final five Premiership matches. There was no pressure from the director of rugby, Alan Solomons, Dupre said. From the beginning, he just told me to take my time, and when I thought I was ready to play again, he would give me a chance and take it from there. Dupre's won the last of his six caps for Scotland in February 2018. When asked about his international hopes, the powerhouse back said he had something to prove but stressed his focus was on performing well at Warriors. 
After my injury, I just wanted to play again, so missing the World Cup wasn't that disappointing, Dupre said. But in the future, who knows? It may happen again. First things first, I need to perform for Worcester. And whilst we did not finish where we wanted to last season, we are in pretty good shape now. We've got a lot of comp competition across the squad in all positions, which will ensure everybody on their toes. Worcester sit second in the table after their season opening 24-16 victory over Leicester Tigers at Six Ways last Saturday. Personally, it's just good to be back fully fit and able to play, said Dupreis, who started at number eight. It is exciting. We have got high expectations of ourselves to get into the top six this season. And whilst that is always difficult in such a competitive league, that is one of our big goals. Dave Bradley reminisces about a meeting with David Gower, the cricketer. When I was a lad in the early 1960s, my Uncle Bert took me and my cousin Alan to Lords to see England against the Australians. I had been to New Road many times, but to visit the home of cricket and to see the huge stands and the massive crowd was a sight to behold. Many years later, I went on a tour of the Lords Ground, well worth a visit, I have to say, with some of my Martley Cricket Club chums on the way back from a tour of Kent. On our tour round, we bumped into David Gower, England captain, later Sky commentator, who was practising at the ground ahead of a game the next day, and Julie had pictures taken, etc. On Thursday, I, David Arthur Bradley, country bumpkin, went down the mines at 14. That's not true. I was sitting in the long room at Lord's next to one David Gower. If you were told that awestruck young lad in those far-off days that one day... The event was Jack Shantry's testimonial dinner, which I do have to say was an ex excellent evening and in such a wonderful setting. Anyway, enough of cricket. A question for you. Why does anyone in London own a car? We had to drive to Crystal Palace, not the football ground, which was painful enough, but had a very pleasant lunch and then had to drive from there to St John's Wood. It is eight miles and it took us almost two hours. Anyway, the proper rugby season starts today and what a day of rugby it is. England against Australia, Warriors against Leicester Tigers, uh which is the opening game of the Gallagher Premiership. Last year was the tightest Premiership on record. And now some more news about Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Kevin Sharp says seeing a 12-year-old walk through the door and eventually go on to play first-team cricket still gives him one of his biggest buzzes in cricket. Sharp worked with Johnny Bairstow, Joe Root... Gary Balance and Adam Lythe in his coaching days at Yorkshire and all have gone on to play for England. In his various roles at Blackfinch New Road, where he is now head of, head of coach and player development, Sharp has seen similar steps made by several players. Jack Haynes was a Malvern College pupil when Sharp arrived at the county nearly six years ago and he became the latest homegrown product to break into the first eleven this year. 
it makes all the net sessions, throwdowns, coaching stints and words of advice worthwhile for former county head coach Sharp and his colleagues. He said, if you were to ask me what I enjoy most, I do love doing the battling coaching, but also what I call the cradle to the grave stuff. This is about the 12 year old walking in through the door and seeing him eventually play first team cricket. I was lucky to do this at Yorkshire with two or three very good players. And here, for example, I've known Jack since he was 14, five or six years ago. He was at Malvern College when I arrived. And with the help of other coaches, we've seen how Jack has come through the ranks. And I love that. Sharp believes it is easier for a youngster to step up if they already have contact and a relationship with the coaches. He said, when you are in the middle of the club, to get the opportunity to work with the young kids and the seniors is great. For the players to know the coach when they were young and to then see them at senior level should help their transition. If he turns up at a second team game, having been in the academy and doesn't know anyone, it makes a bigger challenge. When our young players come from the academy into the second eleven and into the first eleven, they know who the senior coaching staff are and they will have spent time with them. Sharp has slotted into his new role, working at all levels on the playing and coaching side since last winter. He said, it's been an interesting year for me because obviously I've been used to managing a team as such. I don't have that direct responsibility now, but my role is quite generic right across the club now. I support Alex Gidman and Alan Richardson with the first 11, while Andy Sutton and Ryan Dolivera have had opportunities for their development in managing the second 11. I've been there for them because it really is early days for them in relation to the professional game. I've been supporting Elliot Wilson with the Academy and Pathways, and I've pretty much gone to all the age groups throughout the summer, from under 11s to the Academy and also women's cricket now, which we've taken on board, and I've done some coaching with them. My role gives me the opportunity to work with coaches and players at all levels, from youth right through to the first 11. It keeps you quite fresh, actually. There are different challenges, and you manage young people differently to adults. Throughout my career, I've worked at different levels in coaching. I started at grassroots level and finished off working with the first team here. I think the club trusts me to do the right thing and make sure we cover all corners throughout the club. And I've enjoyed doing that. I suppose my role is a little bit unusual in the game. There will not be many clubs who have someone in a position like I am. It was carefully thought out and my diary is full of coaching commitments in the winter as a batting coach from the kids through to the pros and I can't wait. This Halloween, Worcester residents are invited to spook it up at the Commandery in Sidbury, one of Worcester's oldest and re reputably one of its most haunted buildings. Family fun will be an offer throughout the half-term week with a broomstick obstacle course, pin the wart on the witch challenge and a trail to find all the ingredients for a spooky potion. A spokesman said... Crafts will be running daily from 11am to noon and from 1pm to 2pm, suitable for children aged 5 and over, where they can make their very own protection against the worst witches. Visitors will be able to discover more about witch craze of the 17th century 
and make their own witch bottle and potent and, and sorry and poppets to ward off witches and spirits. The spokesman added, witch bottles first appeared in the 17th century as a counter magical device used as a protection against witchcraft and spells. Visitors will be able to produce their own during the craft activities, as well as Poppet, a doll traditionally made to represent a person to aid them through magic. Children will also be able to design their very own anti-witch mark, an item often found on buildings in the 17th century to ward off witches and protect themselves against witchcraft. The commandery is a grade one listed historic building nestling in the heart of Worcester, which has witnessed many centuries of history, making it the perfect place to celebrate Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. Visitors can also join the Friends of Fort Royal Park and Commandery Gardens to celebrate Halloween with family fun from 5pm to 7pm on October the 31st. The spokesman said younger visitors can wear their best fancy dress for a chance to win the annual competition and there will be a treasure hunt in the Commandery and Fort Royal Park. Finally, those not easily scared can enjoy Commandery after dark torchlit tours at 9pm on Halloween night. For tickets and further details, call 01905 Tickets are reported to be selling fast. Three years after losing 13 stone, a Worcester woman says her life has changed for good. Donna Goodall was 22 stone 8 pounds in 2016 before she lost the weight in under a year and finally attaining a healthy BMI. Mrs Goodall decided to lose weight because she felt uncomfortable with her lifestyle. Since dropping 10 dress sizes, her weight has remained stable and Mrs Goodall continues to work with her personal trainer Luke Edwards who she believes is a key part of her being able to keep the weight off. I have run my first marathon. I have done cross-country 10k runs and tough runs. We have now enabled me to do all these wonderful things, Mrs Goodall said. He took me on and got me where I am now. I want everybody to have that chance. Three years on and my life is still so much better because I took that leap of faith. It's never too late. You can change your life and it can stay changed. The retired legal advisor said regular exercise with a personal trainer has helped her physically and mentally. Luke gave me a life but also taught me how to live it. I have had my struggles. I've been treated for depression and it's not always the case that you swallow a tablet and that's it. When you begin to feel good about yourself, it makes you feel like you can cope with things. When things are going wrong or you've had a bad day, you have someone to go to. It just gives you the ability to cope with life and puts you in a place where you can cope. Mrs Goodall told the Worcester News, People need to realise that being depressed is not something to be ashamed about. People are afraid to say they're struggling. Luke Edwards from Luke Evans Fitness Shrub Hill Booster said, I have suffered with anxiety and depression myself. It is one of the things I open up about with people. 
Mrs. Goodall, who wants to encourage other people to have the confidence to lose weight, said with the right help, weight loss is maintainable. It doesn't just stop then, go and go away. This is about lifestyle. It's about how you look and feel about yourself and have someone you can trust. I think there's a perception out there that the whole fitness thing is just for big butch guys lifting weights, but it is about so much more than that. Worcester's Mayor, Councillor Aladitta, reports in his column, I've had a remarkable week by any standards, the end of which saw me reaching for my umbrella and a handy lamppost to swing around in the rain. Several times this week, the importance of mental health has been brought home. In short, it needs just as much care and attention as a physically visible kind. That's why three remarkable events this week stood out. On Thursday in the Guildhall, an exhibition of photographs taken by people battling against enduringly difficult odds during a course run by New Opportunities Worcester touched comes nowhere near summing up my feelings. Later the same day, Headway, Worcestershire's annual meeting and 30, 30th anniversary. This amazing organisation was one of my nominated charities in my first term it, and is again this year. And to hear the tally of current success tales as well as its plans for forging ahead in the future proved a huge thrill. More tales of caring work brought to the fore at the Mental Health Awareness drop-in event at the Angel Centre on Saturday. In between, the notion that there's just not enough hours in the day flashed in front of me several times. Music to be enchanted by at the Chamber of Music at Worcester Reception and Forests, Fjords and Fairy Tales concert in Clane's Church on Friday heralding three days of free musical events with a starrier string quartet in the astarring role. I was delighted too to join Worcester Civic Society in its all-day celebration of 60 years sterling service to helping preserve our Worcester. Two more civic events occurred as Saturday rolled into Sunday. Redditch Mayor Roger Bennett's Autumn Charity Supper followed by the next morning by Bromsgrove DC civil, Civic Service, and then an experience. Wads singing in the rain at the Swan. Dooby-doo-doo-doo-dee-dooby-doo-doo. Wonderful. There will surely be medieval mayhem at the Worcester Cathedral for two whole days during next week's half-term holiday. Worcester Cathedral will be running a host of family-friendly activities with families invited to take part in an exciting range of medieval mayhem fun. The week of autumn half-term on Thursday, October the 31st and Friday, November the 1st. A spokesman said families are warmly invited to drop into the cathedral and take part in the inspiring activities on offer, including the opportunity to make a cathedral money box model, a medieval tile bookmark, an illuminated letter and a Middle Ages inspired friendship bracelet using wool and cardboard circles. 
There is mindfulness colouring and heraldry design, as well as head in a hole and make yourself a monument photo opportunities for those wishing to capture themselves for posterity on their camera phones. Which is perhaps something our medieval ancestors never dreamt of. But there will certainly be a big focus on history, including on, on new discoveries. And in some cases, visitors will literally be, literally be able to get their hands on the past. The spokesman added, there is also the chance to join the cathedral's big art archaeology project to learn about the amazing archaeology currently being excavated as part of the cathedral's Undercroft Learning Centre project to handle artefacts and add drawings to a banner which will be displayed on College Green. The hands-on sessions will run from 10.30am to 12.30pm and 2pm to 4pm on both days. Booking is not necessary and will take place in the main part of the cathedral. The spokesman added, they are free for families to take part in with donations invited to cover the cost of materials and enabling all families to participate. Other family trails and guided tours will also be available. The cathedral shop and cloister cafe are also open. For further details, call 01905 732934 Morphin man David Wilmot, a veteran of BBC Radio and Television, has died aged 88 after a lengthy battle with cancer. Mr Wilmot joined the BBC in Manchester in 1953 as a studio manager and worked on many television productions. He met his wife Kate, who also worked for the BBC in Manchester, and they were married in December 1966. They have two children and four grandchildren. David most recently lived in Avenue Road, but had lived in Malvern since the early 1980s in Cowley Road, then at two different addresses in Abbey Road. He was an avid reader of the Malvern Gazette, and towards the end of his life regularly volunteered to read the paper for the blind in Malvern. David was born in Windsor on September the 15th, 1931. An only child, he was educated at Windsor Boys' School. He first came to Malvern as part of his national service, shortly before being posted to Alexandria in Egypt after the Suez Crisis. It was here that he began working for British Form, sorry, British Forces Broadcasting Services, the BFBS, in 1950, and after his return to UK, he joined BBC Manchester as a studio manager in 1953. He worked on both radio and television as a drama director. He gave Ray Moore his first job in radio and worked with names as illustrious as Ingrid Bergman, David Frost and Morecambe and Wise, amongst many others. He also regularly read the evening shipping forecast a recording of him reading it from the mid-70s is often used to illustrate his iconic fi fixture of British broadcasting to this day. He joined Radio 3 regularly presenting the proms live from the Royal Albert Hall before rejoining Radio 4 as a continuity announcer. He also presented on Beacon Radio, Wolverhampton, Blue Danube Radio in Vienna and BFBS and taught at Evandine Court School. A memorial service will be held at Malvern Priory on Wednesday, November the 6th at 11.30.
primary school children in Worcester are being given the chance to bring some festive joy to people across the city. The Mayor of Worcester is inviting children aged between 5 and 11 to design his 2019 Christmas card, which will be sent out to around 500 schools, charities, organisations, clubs and businesses. Primary schools across the city have been invited to get their pupils drawing and painting to come up with a seasonal picture that shows a Worcester landmark or symbol. The Mayor, Councillor Aladita, said this is an opportunity for local children to show off their creative talents as they begin to anticipate all the excitement which Christmas will bring. Don't forget to include a Worcester landmark or symbol in your card design. Father Christmas landing on top of the hive, penguins swimming in the River Severn or whatever takes your fancy. The Mayor's office has written to every primary school in the city asking them to take part in the competition. Each school has been asked to send in the best three Christmas card designs their pupils come up with. The entries will be judged in, the late, in late November by the Mayor, his chaplain, Canon John Everett, and Worcester City Council Managing Director David Blake. As well as seeing their picture printed on the Mayor's Christmas card, the winner will be invited to tea at the Mayor's Parlour in the Guild Hall and their school re re um, receive a £50 gift voucher for art materials. For further details of how to enter, call the Civic Office on 01905 722 001 or email civicoffice at worcester.gov.uk. Morven's MP has called on the region's train operator to increase capacity on the train line. Harriet Baldwin has written to West Midlands Trains, calling on it to fulfil a pledge to add extra capacity to county commuter trains to and from Birmingham. Mrs Baldwin met with representatives of the company last month and bosses pledged to find extra carriages to replace those removed from the Hereford to Birmingham service in the summer. She has also written to the West Midlands Trains Managing Director Jan Chaudhry van der Velde asking for immediate action to rectify the problem. She said West Midlands Trains was appointed with a fanfare or promises of better services, more capacity and major investment. The decision to remove carriages during the summer was deeply disappointing and I was promised action when I met with the company to raise constitu constituents' concerns. Everyone who has to tolerate busy train services in and out of the city will share my frustration and I am calling on the company to step up its efforts to fix this problem. Shortly, the trains will be even busier with Christmas shoppers and people visiting Christmas markets, so there is a real need to see West Midlands Trains act right now. Extra capacity for commuter services to Birmingham has long been an issue, with one Worcester commuter, Joe Martyr, tweeting a photo of commuters crammed onto a train and calling on the train operator to provide more carriages, saying, I don't know whether they even care. A repeat offender was arrested for being drunk and disorderly just hours after leaving court for the same charge. 
Gemma Payne had nine convictions for 11 offences, magistrates heard on Thursday prior to the latest incident, which saw her punch a man in front of the police while drunk. The incident, which resulted in her being arrested and spending the night in the cells, occurred at 4.30pm on September the 26th, hours after she had been fined for a similar offence by city magistrates. The 24-year-old was spotted by officers in Moor Street, Worcester, standing in the middle of the road, with two men before striking one of them. Having initially run off into nearby Britannia Road, where she lives, Prosecutor Emily Cluer said the defendant approached one of the officers and then assaulted one of the men again. Miss Cluer said Payne was aggressive, confrontational and appeared to be drunk due to smelling of alcohol and slurring her speech. She was subsequently arrested and kept in custody through the night, having been interviewed at 1.05am on September 27th. Mark Stanley, defending, said when interviewed by the police, his client couldn't remember a great deal about the incident. He said there was some sort of argument going on between the two males and that Payne acted unruly and somewhat aggressively at the scene. Drink has been a bit of a problem in recent months, he continued, adding she is trying her best to control it and move forward, and apologises again for wasting police time. The court heard Payne is not currently working but is hopeful of securing employment in Bristol but for the time being is in receipt of employment and support allowance. Chair of the bench Judith Hulland said it was unfortunate the offences had happened immediately after her last court hearing and said magistrates took into account the fact she had spent a night in custody when sentencing. Payne was ordered to pay a total of £247 in fines and costs. Payne had also been convicted of being drunk and disorderly in February 2017 and July 2018. The latter charge related to her swearing at police outside the Glover's Needle pub in Warnton while drunkenly celebrating England's World Cup win over Tunisia in June last year, for which she was given a two-year CBO. And that uh, nearly brings us to the end of this week's recording. Lighting up time is 5.56 to 7.49. We wish to uh, acknowledge two birthdays, both on the 31st of October, for Janet Whitcomb and Eileen Wheelwright. Many happy returns to the two of you. Um, What a spooky night to have birthdays. Um, Anybody who hasn't... uh, whose birthday it is, who we don't know about, please do let us know because we'd love to wish you a happy birthday. Um, Donations, thank you very much to Joan Beach. And uh, we're always very grateful for any donations, but thank you to her. Um, Some activities that are on is a Jingle Run 5K, which is at Droitwich Lido Park and uh, Xmas themed Site Concern is organising that on 01905 723245. And for more details, um, they, you can get uh, in touch with them. They'll give out antlers and bells, etc. So um, that's something to remember. Another thing is the Yeoman of the Guard is showing at uh, the Norbury in Droitwich. And that's from the 5th to the 9th of November. And that's 730 and contact details 01905 770154 and that's norbury theatre.co.uk. 
Um, the emergency phone numbers for out of hours medical assistance, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., is 0300 and the NHS number for non emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 892277. Worcester Live is 6114291, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub numbers for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number 0800 555 Our telephone number is 01905 767766 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, Just a quick reminder that the uh, Bible verse and the obituaries will be after the final music for anybody who would like to uh, switch off beforehand. And we greatly value your feedbacks, likes or dislikes or changes you may like to make. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes and we'd love to hear from you. So all of us tonight, good night. thought for the day is Psalm 96 verses 10 to 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. We will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And now for the obituaries. Derek Brooks, known as Brooker, passed away on October the 7th, aged 87. The funeral service will be on October the 25th at 12.15 at Worcester Crematorium. Pauline Valentine Cleveley of Clanes, passed away on October the 5th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 25th at 11.30. Anthony John Cook, known as Tony, passed away on October the 12th, aged 81. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 24th at 1pm. David Gurney, known as Dave, former builder of Worcester, passed away at Hollyfields Nursing Home on October the 4th, age 77. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 4th at 11.30. Joan Patricia Jones passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on the 30th, sorry, I beg your pardon, on the 3rd of October, aged 79. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 25th at 3.15. Christine Beatrice Mary Palmer, um, Nay Clifton, formerly of Fernal Heath, an artist at Worcester Porcelain, passed away on October the 13th. 
The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 28th at 12.15. Winifred Mary Taylor, known as Wynne, of Clifton on Team, passed away on October the 12th, aged 97. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 30th at 10 o'clock. David Dave Watmore passed away on October the 6th, aged 71. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 29th at 10 a.m. James Gavin, known as Jim, died peacefully on July the 14th, aged 69. The funeral service is at 10 a.m. on October the 31st at Worcester Crematorium. Joe Salisbury of Regiment Close, ex-GPO, passed away at Redshaw Care Home on October the 10th. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 31st at 12.15. Alwyn Turner, nay Smith, formerly of Westview Close, Worcester, passed away at Bedwardine House on October the 16th, shortly before reaching her 100th birthday. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 1st at 11.30. Sheila Mary Chance passed away on October the 14th, aged 84. The funeral is at St Peter's Church in Droitwich on October the 31st at 2.30. Sheila Milner of Worcester passed away on October the 16th, aged 82. The funeral service is at St George's Catholic Church on October the 30th at 10am. William Bill Ranford, formerly of Kempsey, passed away on October the 15th, aged 81. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 1st, 1.45. Our thoughts and prayers go with all the families. <laughs> 